Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where I, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, and my crew of pop culture guests break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad. Thrilled to be back on the airwaves. Today I have as my guest a returning guest, what I'm thrilled to reintroduce to you. Uh, Mick, thanks for so much for coming back on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Glad I could be here. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, it feels like a decade ago, but when we covered Tiger King, it feels like it was the initial part of the a pandemic and now we're almost a year in yeah that was essentially a decade ago i mean yeah. maybe not in real time but in you know experiential time maybe yes <laughs> perceived time yeah um yeah well thanks so much for coming back on the show uh mick you are um a a uh improv colleague i don't know i, well, I guess we could just say friend at this yeah point. we could probably say that okay good i think that's fair to say Good. I mean, you were uh, at my wedding, for God's sakes. I would think we'd at least consider true. ourselves friends. That's true. All right. Well, you know, you you never know if you're just lumped into the improv um, group, or if you're, or if you know, you're you're especially wanted there. But I appreciate that. Oh no, it wouldn't have been. <laughs> I wouldn't have been complete without you there. Ah, uh, well, thank you very much. All right. So um, today's episode, we're going to talk about the amazing Netflix series uh, Big Mouth. Love it. Before we get into that, though, I I have. Something to share with you um, that I've I, I I'm embarking on something, and I'm curious to get your response because I feel like every person I talk about this to reacts to it differently. So, um, obviously, we're still in pandemic mode, and mm -hmm. I feel like everyone feels differently about uh, how well they should or don't care about how they're taking care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say? I think um, that's pretty fair. You also yeah. go through cycles of like, I got to be healthy and then I don't care. <laughs> uh, I went through the, the, the first like few months of pandemic were like, you know, not, not that I wasn't taking care of myself, but it was more like, you know, I'm stuck at home and I'm just going to eat whatever I feel like. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I put on um, about 15 pounds and then, uh, I've spent the last like month or so trying to whittle that back down to my pre-pandemic weight. Sure. Um, so I, I, I'd say, yeah, I've sort of gone in, in cycles with that. I mean, it's same thing with like mental health too. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was in a good place when this whole thing started and then I've sort of ebbed and flowed and gone up and down since then. So, uh, yeah, I, I can, uh, I can see that's, uh, I can see that's a fairly common experience that people have had. Yeah, I, I think so. And mine's been similar. Um, I, at some point during the pandemic, I discovered I had very high blood pressure. So mm -hmm. um, whether that's stress or poor diet or I don't know what, we're still figuring it out. That's the yeah. stage that I'm in. But uh, along with that came some minor concerns about heart issues. All, another thing I'm still working out. But all of this mm -hmm. is to say I felt like I had to pay more attention to my health 
and since I'm a like tech nerd, I guess, right. Um, you know, I started like looking into the market of different wearables. Like people have Fitbits and and various uh, equipment to track oh, I, their activity, right? I thought this is going to be one of those why I spent like two thousand dollars on a Peloton kind of stories. Uh, well, no, um, no, that I mean, <laughs> I did buy an exercise bike, but like the cheapest version uh, okay. of Peloton. And okay. I just use my my iPad. Um, no, this is a, this is the new year of quarantine. I had to buy something else. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a, the Peloton was a twenty twenty thing. Exactly right. So we're a new year. Uh, uh, new new me um so what i purchased and I, I hadn't seen this advertised anywhere so i don't even know if you know that this exists amazon uh put out a wearable um at the end of last year were you aware of this uh no i was not okay so it's called the amazon halo um and it already sounds like a bad episode of black mirror but, yeah yeah um but let me tell you about it so it's one of the reasons I was attracted to it is actually cheaper than most wearables because it doesn't have a screen. So I was like, oh, like, great. It'll still check my heart rate and my sleep and my steps or my activity level. Like, sounds great. Um, and then I read uh, some articles about it. So this is after I purchased it. I was like, oh, like, like what, how bad could it be? Um, and then I, you know, did a, a cursory Google search. And the the top review is from the New York Times. And it's basically like, um, Amazon Halo, the the tech uh, that we don't need or deserve, and I'm like, oh my <laughs> god, what have I got myself into? The Google Glass for a new uh, new decade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally, it's just a bracelet with a bunch of sensors on the underside. Like, how you know complicated could it be? But I come to find out that it actually does a couple of weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which is it, it, it essentially has microphones in it and it tracks your tone of voice, which as a therapist, I am fascinated by yeah. because it apparently, so it, it listens to you like all Amazon products. Like we're just signing up for us to be monitored all the time. Right. Um, and it listens to your speech and sort of grades your tone of voice and will give you feedback on how you sound. Okay. So it will tell you like, you know, if you talk for, you have a conversation that you can go back and check the app and it'll say, you sound aggressive or you sound annoyed or you sound upset or you sound pleasant. And I'm just fascinated by this uh, assuming AI technology. And I'm, I'm very curious how other people, is this something obviously do we need this? No, probably not, but I'm fascinated by it. What are yeah. your thoughts? Well, A, well, do we need it? I would say most likely absolutely not. Sure. Um, I think there's something, to, there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, if you're working as a therapist, there is a tone of voice that you're going to be using from there that's not necessarily yes. going to be conducive to like what your actual mood or your personality is at that point True. in time. I think when you lump that in with the fact that you also have a small kid at home and the way you talk to them, um, you know, I'm not a parent, but I've been around enough kids to know that when you communicate with them, there's a way that you want to talk to them and communicate to them. You know, so if you're, totally. in a, if you're in a bad mood, you're going to try to not necessarily let a small kid take the brunt of that. Um, and I'm just thinking sort of practically from my perspective, like in my house, uh, you know, I've been pretty much stuck at home with my wife for the last year. Uh, and uh, not that that's a bad thing because she might listen not to stuck. this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's been a it's been a, a blessing to be home with the love of my life that's for a right. year. I love you, happily honey. trapped. Exactly, yes. happily trapped. But the thing is, if I'm I'm thinking to myself, if it's listening to my tone of voice, you know, we do a lot of bits 
to make each other laugh where we will sort of Love just it. talk like we're like furious at each other sure and it'll just be like little <laughs> stuff um you know just like we'll be ma- like one of us will be making breakfast and she'll like take you know she'll take the little pork roll off of the stove and show it to me and she'll say hey this is cooked enough and i'll be like i've told you a thousand times that's exactly the way i want it how how can you not get this to your head that that's what i like and of course i'm not serious right but this thing is gonna think you know i'll do this you know we'll do a game like this maybe once a day yeah um and this thing's gonna think i'm a monster um so from my perspective um yeah that's no bueno uh <laughs> that's that's not helpful use helpful information for you <laughs> not to me no um and especially because i'm this i'm also from a more like practical level a more serious level uh i tend to be the kind of person who i hang on to my problems and don't necessarily unless you're in a very small circle of of people Mm. i sort of just i don't really like to share my problems with the world so even if i'm in a really bad mood and i'm really really you know upset about something if i'm talking to most people i would talk to i would still try to have that like pleasant tone of voice that doesn't let on that i'm really upset about something Mm. so even from that perspective i don't know that it would necessarily be providing any kind of useful information for the way that i'm living my life um it's yeah that's just it's 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 a little too you know you said you said black mirror it's a little too black mirror from my perspective i well yeah the consensus seems to be that it's a little creepy which it's hard to argue against yeah um and especially because yeah i mean there's so many other ways that like big tech is is getting our data that yeah that's just I don't know necessarily what could be done with that if someone if it gets in the wrong hands, but it's just mm. it's just you know I just that's just not something I want out there for myself personally. I get it, but and if it gets your blood pressure down, dude, more power to you. <laughs> well, right, well, right, and I guess that'll be the interesting thing is that yeah. if it helps or hurts that. Um, and you, I mean, you nailed the reasons why I'm interested, right? I'm, obviously, I'm a therapist. I, I hope that my tone is a very positive, encouraging yeah. one. But it might not always be, and that would be useful feedback for me. And I think, and and definitely as a parent, I want to be as, I mean, obviously you can't always be this, but like the sort of, um, you know, just like, I love you and you're amazing. And I I would never speak in an ill tone towards you. And, and, uh, you know, I think this, if I got feedback that it was like, oh, like you were a little uh, off today, that would be useful information for me to reflect on that. And. You know, I, w- I would also be curious if other people like agreed with Amazon's assessment of my tone. Like if I asked my wife, like, yeah. hey, was I was I kind of aggressive earlier? Because my phone is suggesting that I was aggressive towards you. Well, uh, see, the, the thing is, yeah. I kind of already have something that will call me on that if I do it. And that is okay. my wife. Well, because that's great. Yes. She'll, you know, she will like she is very good at like, at like if I say something and I say it in a tone that lets mm. on that, you know, I'm not necessarily saying what I'm really feeling. She'll be like, she'll let me know, like, Hey, either she'll let me know, Hey, I think there's something more going on with what you're saying. Or, uh, if I'm being really passive aggressive, which I can be sometimes, she'll be like, I don't appreciate your tone. Mm. Uh, so you know, I feel like from my perspective, I don't necessarily need Amazon. To so you already have like the Michael B. Jordan Alexa from the Super Bowl. Like you already have that in your house. I pretty much do. Yeah, it's that's uh, great. It's so you're called, already a step ahead. <laughs> yes, it's called the Caitlin. Uh, I love her very much. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty good to have. So um, and it's 
Uh, yeah, that's, that's all right. Where so, I am. <laughs> so it's early on the on the spectrum of technology uh, normalcy, and I, I'm okay with that. I'm going to see what happens, and I'll probably give updates as as I enter the the artificial intelligence yeah. void. Please do, and just on yeah. the fact that it's called the Halo, I'm legitimately disappointed that you don't just wear it on your head because that would be that's like that would be the main selling point for me if that was the way that it was worn. <laughs> Right. Well, you you have to assume that that's where this is headed, right? Well, it has uh, to be, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. Well, I, I appreciate your feedback, and I'll I'll incorporate that into my uh, my assessment of the technology as I go. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back with Big Mouth. All right, Mick. So uh, before we dive into Big Mouth, I feel like I have to warn the listeners that if you don't already watch this show, it is the most vulgar show, certainly that I watch. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know about you. Uh, Um, That probably has that distinction for me as well. So it's going to be hard for us to talk about the show without acknowledging um, not just obviously mental health issues that are covered in it, but also maybe some references to some other inappropriate activities that go on in the show. Yeah. So this is your content warning. Um, if you don't want to listen to this episode, I totally understand. Yeah. Um, that being said, we're going to talk about some really useful uh, mental health aspects as it relates to the show. Um, all right. So this is Big Mouth. Um, how to appropriately summarize this horribly... <laughs> Uh, an appropriate show. Um, I'm just going to read it from Wikipedia. Sure. Uh, Big Mouth, the series centers on teens based on uh, Nick Kroll and Andrew Goldberg's upbringing in suburban New York, with Kroll voicing his fictional younger self. Uh, Big Mouth explores puberty while embracing a frankness about the human body and sex, and I would add, and mental health. That's like a lovely, short, succinct summary. <laughs> summary. Yeah. Uh, because it doesn't acknowledge quite how low the depths go. Um, and I think, Mick, I really wanted to focus on the most recent season, season four, which came out, uh, I guess, late last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's the, you know, there, there have been some consistent mental health topics, I think, throughout the series covered. You know, obviously, it's, it's about puberty. It's about these essentially seventh and eighth graders or yeah. sixth, seventh and eighth graders. Um, so there's a wealth of social discomfort and what now in the fourth season becomes uh, more recognizable depression and anxiety. Um, and it's just I, I'm so impressed by it. Um, and I almost feel like before we jump into it, there are some natural comparisons to South Park. I can, yeah, I can see where that comes from. Um, except I think that what I think this show has over South Park, and I wish I could remember who said it because I think it's sort of why it's sort of the thing I think that turned me off the most about South Park is that, uh, 
someone once described South Park as the show that taught a generation of young guys that how thoroughly uncool it is to care about things. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Which, you know, I think that there's something, you know, South Park don't, I mean, I've, I'm not going to lie and say I've been a huge fan of it. I've watched it a few yeah, times sure. off and on. Uh, but there's something sort of uh, misanthropic about the outlook of the show that really, really turns me off. Um, it's, you know, it basically, it's just, you know, like I said, I haven't watched a ton of it, but there's a thing in a lot of the episodes I have seen where it's like, yeah, there's problems in the world. One person probably can't do anything about it. And who cares? Mm. Um, whereas a show like Big Mouth, it's not necessarily looking at those sorts of issues. It's not trying to be like as topical as a show like South Park would be, but yeah. I feel like it's coming from a more, a, from more of a place of positivity and learning, you know, and sort of learning. Yeah. The world that you inhabit, especially as a, um, especially as a, a person coming of age in this kind of yep. climate, uh, the world is pretty screwed up. Um, but you've got to sort of find the positivity and embrace that. And I think that's a much healthier way of looking at life than the way South Park does. Um, that said, I haven't watched South Park. I haven't watched a new episode of it in probably 10 years. So if their outlook has changed, um, then, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but that's just sort of my gut, you know, reaction when I hear about a comparison between the two shows. Yeah. Cause they're both, um, I don't want to say offensive. I mean, certainly they both offend uh, yeah, people. Yeah. Um, but I think they do it in really different ways. And the thing that I love about Big Mouth is it does feel so connected to adolescence in a human way. Uh-huh. Whereas, um, to your point, South Park feels like it uses childhood or adolescence to channel what is ultimately like very uh, adult humor. Almost. Um, And this throughout the throughout Big Mouth, it it feels like the humor is very couched in like these are kids. These are in many cases like adolescent boys. Most but there's also some really human stories about some of the girls as well. Well, and and what I've said to people who've asked me, because the thing that really kind of throws me off about Big Mouth is that I really think the show should be more popular than it is. Totally I mean, it's, agree. It must be doing well because I think Netflix has it renewed for at least two more seasons. Um, but the thing with it is from my, when, when, when people, when I talk about it and people ask me about it and I sort of give them the rough, like probably a little more colorful than the Wikipedia description yeah. that you read off. <laughs> um, but I'll always say that honestly, it is of all the media, like TV and movies that I've watched in the last few years, I think this one might be probably the most honest look at what like adolescence is about and what it's like um because as outlandish as some of the storylines get and like as far out there as the humor gets i think there's something really kind of universal about the problems the kids experience and the way they're sort of learning about you know the changes in their bodies and sort of their place in the world as they age into it um it, it really feels um it really rings true to me and i think that's the thing that sort of appeals to me the most beyond the fact that it's a hilarious show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, so so to your point, I think we will dive into a little bit of the storylines here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to go through every episode, but I think just to kind of set up um, the stuff that I want to talk about as it relates to mental health in this show. So uh, the season four opens on uh, summer camp, which like what a great 
um, adolescent coming of age place and familiar location, right? Um, uh, I never went to summer camp, but oh man, I'll take your okay. word for it. But so that's not even in- like not even day camp, not even like I went to YMCA. Uh, I did vacation Bible school when I was a okay. kid, which was okay. like which was like four hours a day for about a sure. week during the summer. Sure. Um, you know, I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Great. Um, but that's, yeah, that I, that's pretty much the closest thing I have to a summer camp experience. But that said, there was a lot of stuff they experienced at camp that felt authentic to me. So sure. even if the setting wasn't something I experienced, the, ex, the, you know, the underlying experience sort of was. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is good. So then I can share you uh, with you, my experience, the ones that jumped out. So not only sure. did I go to a couple of uh, summer camps uh, during this sort of age range, but I also then ended up working at one for a couple of years. So I got, you oh, know, cool. I, I appreciated, uh, for example, John Oliver's very droll and disconnected um, camp counselor uh, character was fantastic. He was just like, whatever you crazy uh kids with his uh fantastic british accent that had no connection to why he was there which um, i loved <laughs> and, and and i love john oliver and one of the yeah. things i love about john oliver is everything i've ever seen him in he's pretty much playing john oliver and yes he is himself i don't think, I don't think anybody they drew him like him i mean he is like there's nothing oh absolutely uh, yeah, and i don't yeah. think anybody you know i don't think anybody could have pulled that role off yeah. quite as well as he did he was amazing in the in his handful of episodes he was in yeah, so so summer camp and the thing that uh, most connected to me was at least the memory that it brought up was there was a summer camp that I went to. Uh, when, it wasn't it was not a sleepaway. It was just a day camp, but it was like these kinds of things where it's like, um, so uh, just to run through the characters, right? So we have Andrew, um, Andrew Glauberman, mm-hmm. um, who comes to camp late. Um, but, uh, has an issue with using the restroom. Um, and that's like totally recognizable. Like you don't want to be the kid that's, um, you know, makes bad smells or makes bad noises or whatever. There's already a kid that is ruthlessly, uh, made fun of, and you don't want to be that kid or worse. And I I'll say, even if having never gone to summer camp, there is something that I can relate to there because I know that I'm the kind of person that when I travel at times, it's just hard to, you know, my body takes a long time to adjust to mm. the travel and being in a new location and, and things just don't necessarily flow the way that I'm used to them flowing. So sure. that, you know, whether it's emotional or physical or whatever, but that is something I can definitely identify with. Well, yeah. And, and you're also trying to very quickly adapt to like, what are the norms here? Yeah. Right. Um, and something that I work a lot with, with people in therapy is, you know, almost like social anxiety, right? How do we quickly adapt and and fit in almost like without being noticed to this completely new place? Um, and for me, the, the memory that this brought up was there was a, a summer camp that I went to one year um, and I didn't know anyone. Um, mm-hmm. It was literally like, oh, uh, my mom has a friend who's a friend of a friend who like runs this camp and can get me and all my siblings into the camp for a couple of weeks while my mom needs to do whatever she was doing. I couldn't even tell you why we were in right. that camp that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I was probably in like fifth or sixth grade. So not too close, not too far from the kids from big mouth. And, you know, uh, much like the kids in this group, you kind of, um, 
your interests vary. Um, yeah. I was into sports and then I was like, just starting to get interested in girls and there was a very pretty girl and I, you know, it's the kind of thing where the boys and the girls are all talk about, Oh, who do you like? Or who, who do you think is cute? And all these sort of conversations devolve into much more graphic versions, of course, and in, in big as, mouth with our hormone monsters. Do. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will never forget this memory is seared into my brain. There was a day when I don't know who I told, I told someone that I thought this other girl was cute mm-hmm. uh, or that I liked her. And somehow that got back to her. And uh, this day at summer camp, we were at a um, uh, a water park of some kind. Right. And I, I realized, or somebody told me, or I realized that now she knew that I liked her or thought she was cute and I'm whatever, like 10 years old. What does that even mean to a 10 year old? Right. But I was terrified at the fact that she now knew this information. So for the whole day at the water park, anytime I saw her, I would not run, but like vacate the premises of wherever I was. (laughs) And if I thought that she was, Moving in my direction, I I made sure to move even quicker. Yeah. So just this whole day, I'm I'm not enjoying water slides. I'm basically by myself because I can't explain to anyone else why I keep leaving the pool, then the slides, <laughs> then this, then that. Um, and I just avoided her the whole day. And I, I don't think we ever talked about it. Yeah. It was probably very confusing for her because she hears that this boy likes her or whatever. And then she wants to go talk to that boy and the boy is just running away from her the whole time. I can't imagine like that. I hope that that wasn't like a terrible, like bad experience for her, but I can't imagine it, it was good. Yeah. So I, I think I, that we might actually see that. I don't have a specific experience. It's like that, but I remember sure. being around that age. And if there was a girl that I liked to me, sure. the most horrifying prospect in the world was that girl finding out that I like them. Yeah, what is and that? <laughs> I kind of think. Well, I think it's kind of because we, as a society, do a really horrible job at, you know, addressing feelings with kids and talking yeah, about them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's sort of the main reason for that. But yeah, that is the sort of thing. Like, I just remember being up until I mean, really up until out. I was until I was out of high school. I had a really hard time um, talking to uh, women I was interested in because. It's just the fact that what if I, you know, what if I like them, but they don't like me back? And what if they hate me because I, they find out that I like them. And it's the sort of thing, it's really hard to grow out of, um, unless yeah. you've got this level of confidence that I never had until well, I was, Where does that come from? <laughs> it came in, well, you know what, for me, it came into being in my twenties and realizing, well, the worst that happens is they say no, That's and I so move funny. on with my life. Yeah. For me, it was college as well, where you just kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever happens. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's a great point. Um, and, and I think this sort of topic is also identified from the opposite end of the spectrum with Jesse, who at camp, uh, has her first period, right. Mm-hmm. And is now experiencing all these things, um, for the first time and her own anxieties are now coming up. What am I, what do I do? What's happening? Is this normal? Is this weird? Yeah. Um, and then at the end, I want to say it's the first episode, um, with Nick, who's also starting to get some social anxiety because Andrew has shown up and he's sort of uh, they're sort of on out some of his friend group. Yeah, yeah. All they these, were all these of each of... other going into the beginning of the season too. They were already arguing, yes. so that was not exactly. pleasant. Yeah, so so this anxiety, this social anxiety, this friendship anxiety is starting to increase and increase, and then we are introduced to the anxiety mosquito. 
And I was so excited, which is weird, but I was so excited to see uh, anxiety represented as a character uh, of its own. Yes. Because what they were able to do with that is that the anxiety mosquito then affected every single character, I think, Mm -hmm. in the series throughout the rest of the season. Um, And it, you know, had kind of similar themes of of what it uh, like said to each kid. Right. Right. Yeah, well, and I yeah. just I just loved how how that was introduced, and we'll we'll get into sort of the devastating effects of that. <laughs> yes, yes, because there were a few. Yeah, um, but yeah, so so we're introduced to this anxiety mosquito, and it's basically when uh, Nick is, and I think he even says like, I think I'm having a panic attack. Yes, um, and I was actually uh, shocked and and also grateful and impressed that they were able to name it that because right. I don't know how many seventh graders would recognize that that might be what's happening but maybe kids these days have a better mental health vocabulary certainly than i did yeah 11 or 12 and i think it's another thing to the show's credit that in its own way it is again one of the most accurate depictions of a panic attack i think i've ever seen um because it really i mean i saw the way nick acted in that scene and like holy crap i've been there you know Mm, and that i'm like that is you know you know granted it's a it's a an animated you know 12 year old boy but I've been there and I was there probably when I was at that age and didn't have the words that he had to label it. So um, I think there's something so frightening when you're having an issue like that at that age and you're not able to put that label on it, that I was sort of grateful that they were able to let Nick do that. Cause it's sort of, you know, not that it lessens the amount of terror that you have when you're feeling it, but at least it's sort of, you could sort of see that he at least had the beginnings of having some of the tools to work his way through it, which was, kind of gratifying to see you know absolutely yeah and and like i said it, it kind of affects every kid at different times so there's um uh natalie when natalie introduces herself as a boy to the i'm sorry as a girl in the in the boys cabin mm-hmm. that's i think when we first uh meet and and i i've had i've realized this by doing research the the mosquito's name is tito but it's not just tito it's tito, tito. taylor thomas <laughs> This show has such a way with names that I, I, I mean, as, as someone who likes to, who tries to be creative and, yeah. you know, one of the things that I think is really helpful when you're doing improv is putting a name on a character. And it's like, now I feel bad if I'm just naming someone like Joe in a scene, because this show is naming a mosquito that embodies, um, that embodies anxiety as Tito Taylor Thomas. And I'm like, well, you know, it's just, I might as well just stick with Joe. Cause I'm not going to come up with anything, any, any, anything so even close good. to that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even remember them actually saying Tito Taylor Thomas on the show, but I'm just grateful that it exists on the internet. Cause that gives me <laughs> appreciation for it. Um, but yeah, so, so we see these kids one by one starting to get impacted by this anxiety. Right. And mm-hmm. I have to say as a therapist also, um, you know, having them name it as anxiety and not just, you know, these like voices in their heads. Cause really when you watch shows where there's obvious anxiety or mental health problems going on, it often is just like the inner monologue, right? It's just their voice, but coming from inside their head. Mm -hmm. That's why I like that. That's like, that's why I like that the mosquito doesn't does inter interact with everybody because it's, it's, you know, there's, there's not a single person in the world who doesn't deal with some level of anxiety from time to time. And if you're just going to limit it to one character, then I think you're sort of, you know, doing it a service to the concept of anxiety and what it means to people. Yes. And, and I think we can, 
it's it makes it especially if if you are a child watching this, which you know I don't know how appropriate it is, but I'm sure that's happening. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure if I was, gosh, nine or ten or eleven, and I had the remote and I saw this on my like Netflix feed, I would absolutely <laughs> click into it. Um, that's actually what, one of the reasons I think that they put. Uh, Maury the Harmon monster is so front and center in their advertising because he looks disgusting and his nose is a penis. So that should be sure is. <laughs> that should be a warning that maybe you shouldn't let like a seven or eight year old watch this thing. Yeah, um, it doesn't come up on on the kids tab for my daughter, which I appreciate. Thank goodness um, for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so anyway, it's it's this commonly recognized thing as we're all dealing with it, or at least all the characters are dealing with it. Um, and something about it being a mosquito is just a fascinating choice because, you know, what better than a mental health, you know, ailment to be represented by a bug that's not only one of the most common bugs in existence, but also one of the, I think, the biggest killer. I hate to say that, but I'm pretty sure it's responsible for the most human deaths out of all the animal kingdom. Yeah, you're probably right on that, actually. Um, because of disease, not because obviously it's not killing us itself, but no, it's, not directly, it's giving but us, yeah. But malaria and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, all that the, fun that'll stuff. Do the trick. <laughs> that'll do it, of course. Yeah. So it's like this thing that on its own is not necessarily going to, you know, take us down, but, and we're represented again throughout the series by, it's often not just a single solitary Tito the Mosquito. Um, and I freaking love that that rhymes, but, uh, <laughs> But Nick actually slaps and kills one, and then another one just pops up, and then the panic attack is basically represented in the show by, like, a swarm. And one of the things I liked about that was with the swarm of anxiety mosquitoes, it sort of leads into sort of the way I feel when I'm really anxious or when, I've, when I'm having a panic attack, um, is that he has all these mosquitoes, and these mosquitoes are buzzing at him, and, you know there's like one for every problem he's experiencing. And he, as a result of that, when you really get, when he's giving into the anxiety mosquito, it's like, he's believing the worst in everything. And that is so true of the way that I've experienced anxiety. And especially when I've experienced like a panic attack, it's like, it's not just the one thing that's bothering me. It's just, I just assume everything in my life is going to hell and you know, there's nothing that's going right. And you know, there's, there's no possible way, you know, there's, there's no possible way that anyone could possibly, uh, like me or, you know, there's yep. no possible way that, that people think I'm doing well at my job or that I'm doing well at this. It's just when you get that, uh, ridden with anxiety, it's, that's the way you feel. It's like everything is screwed up and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. And it's a very, uh, catastrophic thinking that I appreciate that they portrayed that as well, because it might just start off with, oh no, Andrew isn't friends or he's taking my friends or I'm losing my friends. And then it over time escalates and escalates and escalates to you're going to be lonely forever or yeah. you're going to be the new soup who's the kid that they make fun of mercilessly, which is, or milk. Milk, no, they, they, milk. Yeah. Because That's Nick, right. Nick becomes soup. Because oh, he's, he's, afra he's afraid to shower yeah. um, because he's... Uh, you know, he, he's a late bloomer. And that's, right. uh, that's actually the thing that I remember. I don't remember what their acronym is, but Andrew and uh, Seth, they have their some acronym that they come up with. Like, hey, are you such and such? Like, uh, but it, oh, it's having yeah. to do with it's having to do with the fact that they've hit puberty sooner and they've got 
a bigger penis than Nick has. They have they have evidence to show. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it's you know the, the the thing that actually really struck me with uh, Nick's storyline in this part of the season is he's in an environment where he, he's going into it and he thinks because right, he's fighting with Andrew now, but he's got Seth there who he's already friends with. And then Seth quickly hits it off better with Andrew. So then he's sort of isolated from the group. And I remember there being times in my life, like when I was in middle school and high school, um, when I felt like I only had one friend in the world. Mm, And when that friend was with, you know, when they were with someone else or when it was just, you know, from time to time will happen with people when they just get tired of me. And it's just like, there's that feeling of loneliness that you know i think it's it's not necessarily unique to being a kid but in that sort of manner um that definitely rings true to some of the time the ways that i felt in middle school and high school when the people who i considered you know especially there were times when i like i said i literally felt like i only had one real friend and if they didn't have time for me or they were doing something else there's something just you know there's something really profound about being like 11 or 12 and eating lunch by yourself and i think that's something that the show really illustrated kind of beautifully yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And and I appreciate you for sharing. Uh, you know, obviously this is uh th- these are awkward things to recall, but I mm-hmm. think it's it's um, you know, being able to have these sort of connections with I mean, I don't know if this is advertised as a children's show. Um Should... it's obviously not. Um yeah. Yeah. but there is something that animation is able to do that like if this was well, number one, I think if this were real kids you probably couldn't do half the things that you were doing yeah most definitely (laughs) but but there's something about animation also that like whether it's tito the anxiety mosquito or uh the depression kitty Mm -hmm. that through metaphor is able to make these concepts so real and i think so real for let's just say adolescents who i'm sure are watching the show um yeah that it's like oh my god Yes, that's how I feel. Like a giant purple cat is sitting on my chest and I can't get out of bed. And that's actually later on in in Jesse's story in this season. That's why I sort of loved that um, because Jesse was of the all the characters in the show in the previous season. She'd been the one who'd sort of been the most established or maybe the only one who's really established as having issues with depression. Yes. And I loved that it was like how basically her dealings with Tito the anxiety mosquito led directly into depression kitty showing up um, because it sort of goes and shows how they can sort of go hand in hand Um, because I know that I don't necessarily if I'm having a little if I'm really anxious about things uh, I know that there's times when it's just the easiest thing for me to do is just give into it and just sort of collapse and just lay down and, and sleep and not want to do anything. And that is, you know, there's a lot of different ways that depression can manifest itself, but that's the one that I think sort of rings truest for me. And I think the way that it sort of showed how that can sort of go hand in hand with anxiety was, I think, really well executed. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, you know, it's just hard to watch sometimes because as, as, light and funny as they try to make it and almost like pull you out of the emotion at times. I think especially uh, Jesse's um, sort of arc from this season right. is, is hard to watch sometimes. I mean, you, you imagine like if this were real where this girl goes from um, 
you know, moving out of town to a city with yeah. her mom and who is now divorced from her father. Um, and, you know, it goes into this relationship and essentially drops out of her private school. Like these are some real, like, you know, we could even say traumatic, you know, uh, transitions yeah. for a young girl to go through. Um, and then she, I think is, you know, between her and Nick, I would say the, the main, uh, victims of the, of Tito, the anxiety mosquito. Yeah, I'd say so. And then later on in the series, um, I believe it's in the ninth episode, Horority House, when somehow the gang, um, gets into a haunted sorority house and the college age girls just kind of like uh drug them into like some hallucinogenic horror scenes um right right and they're all sort of it's uh, yeah all the characters sort of have to they sort of meet up with the manifestation of whatever their main issue they were dealing with throughout the season was if i remember it right exactly and jesse in particular her horror scene starts out as a uh a session with her therapist and then it sort of escalates into her being put into a straitjacket um, because the therapist sees that she's crazy and is going to commit her to a mental health institution, yeah. um, which is obviously terrifying. And I think most people who go into therapy, like this is a pretty common fear. Like, are, are, is everything going to stay here in this room? And are you going to send me to the hospital? Being the probably the most common fears that people express to me. So to have that uh, be portrayed again in a very uh, sort of light and comical, but also dramatic way. Then she ends up in like a swamp where she meets the gratitude, which again, what a fantastic name and representation for something. Um, that being obviously gratitude represented yes. by, I don't know what accent you would describe the gratitude, a gratitude having. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Yeah, I was I was watching clips of it earlier and I couldn't quite place it, but it was it was definitely uh, it was definitely something. <laughs> it is. It's something. And it, it, I, the one thing I will say for it is it's it's somehow soothing and like, oh, this person wants to have a good time. It's something that felt kind of like a hippie, but there was something else there that I couldn't put my finger on. Uh, I just looked up and saw that because I couldn't remember who voiced it, and so it was sure. Zach Galifianakis, and he's well, that explains it. He's very yeah. good at at playing sort of a oh my god, I can totally l- picture it. Now. Yeah, he's very good at sort of playing like an easy, you know, living that live kind of free spirit, yes. um, which I think I, I think he did really well in that in that sort of role, and you know, I think that's. Um, you know, I, I'll say for me, this doesn't always work, but there is definitely something to be said for sort of taking inventory of what it is that you are grateful for and the things that are going well for you. Um, there Obviously, there's times when that's not going to do the trick for you, but at least if there's times when I get, you know, when I get hung up on something, at least that gives me sort of an anchor point that I can hold on to and say, well, you know, at least I've got this going for me. And I think that... Uh, I think that this did a really good job of sort of illustrating how you can do that. And like I said, there's, that doesn't always work for me, but there are times when it does. And I was, it was kind of grateful to see that play out on TV. I totally agree. And I, and thank you for, for saying that. Cause I, I feel very similarly, even as a therapist, you know, anytime I'm recommending gratitude, it kind of feels like, um, here's this sort of hokey thing that I don't know if you believe me that this is going to be helpful for you, but you kind of have to trust me and give it a shot. Right. That's always how it feels like when I'm suggesting it. Yeah. Um, 
and frankly, and that's that's even coming from my own stuff because, like you, uh, I find it difficult to maintain it as a consistent habit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on one hand, I, I recognize that it obviously has benefits, and on the other hand, it just feels like, well, like of course I'm grateful for those things. Yeah. Um. So what difference is it going to make if I'm like? Uh, saying it out loud or, you know, consciously practicing this mentality. But I wanted to share with you, Mick, a a famous uh, study on gratitude. There's a great YouTube clip on it as well. And what they showed is that, so they took, what they did, they took a bunch of people, as they always do in mental health studies, Mm -hmm. um, and they had them, you know, answer a pretty standard, you know, mood questionnaire. How are you feeling? Um, and then they brought each one in for an interview, um, and they interviewed them and they said, you know, just sort of casually, uh, we want you to write a letter, uh, to someone that you are grateful for. So they all write the letter. Right. Uh, and then they share with the interviewer, like, this is who I wrote the letter to. This is why I'm grateful for them. Um, and then the interviewer would say, you know what? Thank you so much for doing that. And thank you for sharing that with me. Now we're going to call that person and you are going to read this to them. Oh my and, God. Yeah. And I mean, it's very emotional. Um, and, and mostly positively, like there are happy tears, but there's also this sort of like, Oh my God, I didn't know I was going to have to do this. Yeah. Okay. If you say so. Um, so you see the people, you know, read these very, uh, sincere letters yeah. that people have been important in their lives. Um, and you sort of watch what happens to them emotionally. And it's fascinating because, you know, and not that any of these people were depressed before they uh, did this interview, but almost across the board, they leave sort of like smiling and laughing and just like this whole thing has been kind of lifted from them. Mm-hmm. And, and then of course, uh, again, all mental health studies, they did the same, you know, mood questionnaire thing again. Yeah. And across the board, um, there was a significant increase in their happiness sort of scores from this gratitude exercise. So it's just yeah. fascinating because you wouldn't necessarily think that that would be the outcome. Yeah. But I can, you know, I can also see, cause I mean, I've, I've, I've never been in that sort of exact situation. Sure. Um, but I do know from times, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, I am not necessarily the most forward person in the world with my emotions, except with like a very, fairly small handful of people. And even then it's just not, it's hard for me to try to, to always be really forward with what I'm saying. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person who tends to just bottle it up and bottle it up and bottle it up. Um, which is a horrible, horrible habit. And it's, it's one that I'm working on, but it's, it's hard to change, you know, it's hard to change your entire lifestyle of behavior, you know, quickly, but I'm working on it. Um, but I know that when I've had, it's, I think the thing that really it's the hardest to me about opening up to people like that is it's hard to make yourself vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it sort of, it almost goes back to sort of what I was talking about, like when you're a kid and you're afraid of owning up to the fact that you have a crush on someone, there's something about that vulnerability, vulnerability that's scary. That's yep. really scary. Um, but I also know that from my own experience that when you 
are able to share that vulnerability with someone, it can be extremely cathartic. And I know that the times that I've been able to successfully do that, it's just, you can't really put into words how much better you feel when it's over with. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I can, I can absolutely see where that would be a, well, that'd be helpful to people who are dealing with these sort of issues, but I can also sort of see where, when, you know, writing the letter is one thing, but get, but reading it off to the person that you're writing about, my God, that can be, that could be absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So uh, yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not, no, no doubt about that. I think that is very vulnerable. Yeah. Um, but I think to your point, like in that vulnerability comes something good in the present moment and right. Anxiety tends to be all about, uh, what if and catastrophic thinking about the future and all these bad things that are either have just happened or are about to happen. And what gratitude does is it brings us to that present moment, things that we are happy about or grateful for or appreciate right now. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, in moments when I've made this a conscious practice, what I have noticed about myself is that it's not so much that it um, takes away anxiety specifically for me as much as it renews the sort of sense of what's important. Right. Uh, so like anxiety can come from all these things that, um, in the big picture might not actually be that important. Of course, you can get anxious about very important things. Yeah. Um, but the anxiety, much like Tito Mosquito, is like directing you to all these possible futures, none of which might actually play out. Right. Um, especially with it, with Jesse, that was like a familiar theme, like, oh, you're going to drop out of school and you're going to be homeless on the street and all these sorts of things. Um, and with gratitude, what you see Jesse start to do once she meets Gratitude um is she she says and i loved what she said the first thing when she was challenged by the gratitude to just identify one thing is she said i'm grateful for sour patch kids yep and i love that because i love sour patch kids myself but also <laughs> because it, it makes it okay for you to start small like it's okay that this is the only thing you can think of that you like or that you're happy about yeah yeah especially because i know I mean, I mean, I know for me, there's times when, when I've been really, really in a bad place, it's like, if I'm trying to count that, that's really true to me because like, if I'm, if I'm trying to think of something that can give me any kind of joy, it might just be the stupidest thing, but at least it's sort of a foothold. Absolutely. And that's so important when dealing with anxiety and panic is to have something to ground yourself in, mm -hmm. um, you know, being able to say, well, at least I have X, which I love, you know, yeah. whether that's your family or your job or the candy that you love or this ice cold beer or this dumb show that we love. Right. And, right, and right. all of that stuff can be perfectly fine as a place to start from. Yeah. And then Jesse over time, you know, identifies more and more significant things. And then in the, the sort of the, the season finale, we see Nick who's been struggling with all sorts of like future based fears in an episode. He sees himself as some sort of futuristic game show, uh, can I say asshole? Uh, terrible person. Your podcast, um, dude. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> and well, it's it's like how to describe this version of himself. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's he's a pretty bad dude. That's a pretty um, accurate way of doing it. Yeah, and and he's fighting with this version of himself. Ultimately, in the last episode, with the help of the gratitude, and every time he identifies something he's grateful for, the gratitude gets bigger and bigger, and right. fight essentially like Godzilla against the Mothra that the that the three headed tito the mosquito becomes in his you know his very intense like identity problems that yeah. he's having yeah 
Um, yeah, that was that was uh, that was nice to see. I was glad to see that the. Uh, yeah, I, I I wonder because when when I hear you talk about it, and I you know I think about how how the show illustrated the process of of using gratitude to try to you know help write yourself when you're when you're dealing with anxiety, and I had to wonder if they either. A, if they had anyone, like any sort of mental health consultants who helped them out with the scripting on the show, or if it's yep. maybe just the product of people who, a bunch of writers who have gone through a lot of therapy, because it seems like they're pretty well versed in A, you know, the, 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 you know, these mental health issues, but also in sort of versed in ways to try to help yourself through them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that it was good to see, you know, it's a show that can be, I like that it's a show that can be dark and can be frank and can be honest about negative things, but it can also be like reassuring at the same time. Oh um, yeah. And especially right now with, you know, the world as it is, you need that. You know, if, if that was a show, you know, I find myself uh, in uh, 2020 slash 2021 generally gravitating right now more towards things that have a positive outlook. Um, like I like a good book or movie that yeah. is depressing, but now is not a time in my life when I find myself gravitating towards it. And it's like, it's like Jesse with the Sour Patch Kids. You know, if I'm yeah. going to, if I'm going to try to, if, if, you know, watching, if, if watching this, uh, if watching a dumb TV show or watching a silly animated show with like hormone monsters and, you know, all these sex jokes, if that's giving me a little bit of joy for a few hours saying, you know what? good for them. They're doing a good job. And that's, that's a good thing in my life. And I'm grateful for it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, my hunch is that, uh, it might be a little bit of both because, yeah. um, uh, I know Nick Kroll has been, has been open about some of the things that he's experienced in life and John Mulaney, who's John another Mulaney too, actor, yeah. um, you know, uh, someone who's been open about his own struggles. Um, so mm-hmm. I, just knowing that, I think there's, there's a lot of humanity in the creation of this show, which I just really appreciate too. Yeah. yeah I kind of wish that more um, like modern media would consult with, uh, you know, mental health professionals because it's just, I think it's important that you try to, you know, not everything has to be I, people can, things can be dark and reassuring, but I, and, and sure. dark and, and disturbing, but I think there should be at least a way to, to couch it in a way that you're not, disturbing people on you know unduly and i kind of wish that more more shows and stuff would do that because i just think of i think of uh i'm just thinking about other renditions of mental health and stuff like that and i i i know you did an episode on it and i i'm ashamed to say i haven't listened to it um but i'm just contrasting this with a few months ago i watched joker for the first time and i hate oh yeah i hate it um just because i felt that it was like I, I think that the two things that I hate about it was when it was like, well, he's, you know, he's, he's mentally ill. That means he's crazy. And the reason he's doing all these things is because he's mentally ill. And I just felt that, you know, that kind of, that kind of stigmatizes some issues with mental health that I think already have too much negative stigma attached to him. Yep. Whereas something like this, it's like, yeah, these are issues that people go through, uh, but they're universal. And the fact that you have these issues doesn't make you a lesser person, which I think something like Joker did not do as well with. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of why I wish that more, more things came at it from the perspective that a show like Big Mouth does. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it, the sort of sense of lightness and um, almost uh, casual ability to reference these 
essentially many really in some cases like complex mental health issues. Mm-hmm. I just love that it's giving a language, you know, to kids or adolescents, you know, that if they're having a rough day, they can just be like, you know, fucking anxiety mosquito is driving me crazy today. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's so much power in that and being able to identify it as something that's not themselves. Um, you know, in therapy, we might call this like depersonalizing the, the symptom, right? So if it's right. like, it's, it's, yes, you are feeling uh, these anxious thoughts, you're thinking these anxious thoughts, but um, you are not your anxiety. So mm-hmm. the anxiety is coming from this other place, whether it's a mosquito or your past trauma or, yeah. you know, summer camp experiences, whatever it's coming from. <laughs> and, and your ability to recognize it as this is this thing over here. This is not me. So because it's not me, there are things that I can do to sort of see it and recognize it and confront it, whether that's with gratitude or through social support or through therapy. Yeah. That I just think that that gives so much space for kids to be like, oh, like this is just a normal thing that happens. It's so normal. It's on a show that I like. Like that is just so powerful. And I I also appreciate uh, the way that they are able to make this accessible. Yeah, I agree. Um, And actually, if if you don't mind, there is one other thing. There's one other character who I, I don't think we really touched on who I really, really was was drawn to this season. Yep. Uh, and that was Milk. Um, yeah. Because Milk, I mean, just for reference, if if you haven't watched the show or you if you're not rem- remembering, when they get to camp, Milk is like the the camp like weirdo. Um, yep. He's just he's a very, very strange kid. Uh, I remember he's always talking about his dad's friend, Bob Reedy, like constantly. He's like, oh, my dad's friend, Bob Reedy, such and such. Yeah. And then when they're finally leaving camp, the last episode that they're in camp, he reveals that Bob Reedy didn't exist. Um, and I think that Milk really, um, he really spoke to me in kind of a, a weird way. Uh, because, you know, I know that, um, I know that everyone was, you know, milk until, you know, until Nick became soup, milk was sort of like the, the, the like camp punching bag. Oh yeah. And as much, but as, as much crap as they gave him, he was also still part of the group. And I got the sense as one of those things where they kept him around because he was so weird that on a level, the other kids got a kick out of it. Um, and I can really identify with that because I, I remember being in times in my life, like when I mentioned earlier, um, like being, uh, like being in, in middle school or being in high school and that feeling of, you know, feeling like I only had one really good friend. I mean, there were times I felt like when I was a kid, I really didn't have any friends. Mm. And that was when I would sort of, that's when I would be the weird kid. Um, because even if I was at least that way, it kept, it kept me out of anonymity so you fulfill that, a role. Yeah. Exactly. You, you have, you have, you be known as something. Yeah. Exactly. It's cause it's like, I think that it's a lot of times, especially when you're that age, it's easier to, it's easier to just to feel like you're part of something than to just be a nobody. Um, cause I just remember, I just, I know that there were times, I, I mean, I, honest to God, I can't think of anything specific, but I just, there were times like in middle school that I sort of had a little bit of reputation as being kind of a weirdo. And, I would sort of lean into it because at least it was something that got me some notoriety. And a lot of times that can, when you're in a place where you don't feel like you've got friends, that's almost, you lean into that as like a substitution for real friendship. Um, And that's why I really appreciate, I think 
the character of Milk illustrated that in a way that I don't really know that I've seen done as well in, in anything else like that. Uh, and it's one of those things where it's like, I'm, you know, it's kind of weird how much I identified with that. Mm. Um, it, it was, it was, it was really nice to see. And I think that's another thing that it's reassuring uh, if you're in that kind of place to know you know, this is not necessarily uh, it's not necessarily the healthiest way in the world to behave, but at least it's, it's something that kids do and you oh, know, yeah. you're not the only person who does it. So I, I kind of felt a little bit validated because that was part of my childhood. And yeah. it was, it was at times it was kind of hard to see, but it was like, yeah, you know what? I was milk a few times and like it or not, it's sort of part of why I am the person I am today. Uh, so I don't want to shy away from it. It's, it's a part of my life and it's, again, it's, it's a part of me, but it's not all of me. Yeah, I, I totally appreciate that. And I think that's another thing that this show does really well is it it stops short of letting at least any of the human characters be just caricatures or like one note things. Like Milk initially is like, oh, like he's just this kid that everybody says shut up or or yeah. but there is something sad and human about Milk that we get little glimpses of. Um yeah, not necessarily sad. I mean, there's there's strength there, right? He's owning a role. He's owning something. He's here. He's not hiding. Like so, there obviously is some strength in that in that kid as well, which is you gotta you gotta sort of give him credit for. Um, and I just really appreciate that because there are so many super bizarre characters in this show um, that we haven't even had a chance. You could do a whole season on this show of all the sort of hijinks that all the various characters get into. Most definitely. Um, and that combined with some very real, like, um, um, human, um, uh, deeply touching um, issues, you know, whether that's Matthew coming out to his parents or, um, you know, uh, uh, the sort of difficulty of going through divorce that Jesse sees. Um, there's just what was also really enlightening for me uh, as a, you know, as a white person and in my yeah. position oh, yeah, yeah. was uh Missy's storyline. And also the whole, yes. um, the whole subplot about code switching, um, which was not something that I'd really put a lot of thought of until this silly cartoon made me think about it. And obviously it's something that as a white person, I'm not necessarily able to identify with as something I've experienced, but at least it can sort of give me a perspective and a, it's sort of a jumping off point to try to learn more about, the experience of what it is to be a person of color in America. Um, and I think that's, again, that's a very help. It's a very healthy thing. I think that it's, it's trying to push people into thinking about things they hadn't thought about before, or at least from a perspective they haven't thought about. Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah, thank you for bringing that up because Missy's uh, arc in this, uh, uh, this season, um, even if, it, and I think there are obvious mental health things about it, but less so because she, I don't think she is, is she in particular like tormented by, Tito the mosquito. I don't remember any specific. I don't um, think so. I I, I had to go back to check. I don't. She's going her through her own thing. Yeah. yeah, she's she's definitely going through her own thing though, as she sort of really connects with her identity, um, and because she has multiracial uh, parents, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's it's you, again really appreciate the the writing of the show because uh, Jenny Slate. Uh, was the original uh, voice of Missy. Um, Jenny Slate is not African-American. And uh, in this season, they transitioned uh, specifically in the the episode 
um, where they're in the sort of horror uh, house. And Missy kind of comes to terms with her identity and she sees the mirrors and all the different versions of a callback to us, the movie by, uh, the movie by Jordan Peele, where she's sort of uh, confronted by these different versions of herself. Um, and then she comes out being voiced by a new uh, actress. Um, uh, and the actress's name is, um, I don't, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Io Edabiri. Um, and, and there was a lot of, um, you know, stories written about how they sort of handled this transition and, um, you know, and I think ultimately they did the right thing. They, yeah. they received some criticism for not having Missy voiced by an African-American actress in the first place. But, um, you know, credit where credit is due when when shows at least make the adjustment that uh, is appropriate. Yeah, it's it's actually something I've been not to go off on too much of a tangent here. Yeah, yeah, but that's I, okay. I've yeah. been um, I've been watching a lot of the early episodes of The Simpsons uh, recently because mm. that's one of my favorite shows and it's still yeah. um at least up until about season nine or so um because i'm one of those guys i'm old <laughs> um but it's it's the thing that's really jarring is a how much the show really holds up but b how profoundly dated a lot of the racial stuff that they did in the early yes. seasons yes. um because obviously there's a whole movie about uh the trouble with apu and everything but even beyond that it's like there's episodes when they where they uh like when they go to the japanese restaurant and everyone is like a japanese like caricature oh yeah big time uh, or i just watched earlier today there's the episode it's an apu episode but where they go it's homer and apu go to india um and it's just the whole thing it's just so built in stereotype um and i just think it's a, it's 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 really troubling and kind of hard to watch and it's i think it's a good thing that we're sort of moving away from that sort of um you know, from, from that sort of portrayal of, um, of minorities, um, because it's, it's really sad and, and it, it's kind of painful to go back to see a show that I hold as dear as I do the Simpsons and see how screwed up it is in a lot of places with that. Um, but then I also had to think, well, if it's hard for me now as a white guy with my 2021 perspective, you know, I got to think there were people, you know, there would have been people of color who would have been reacting to that way at the time. And the fact that we're only now in 2020 or 2021 looking at that is, you know, it's kind of shocking and it's, it's kind of a, it's a really bad indictment on where we are as a society and how much further we still have to go. Um, so it's baby steps and I'm glad they're making them, but it's, 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 it's shocking that it's even taken a show like big mouth that came of age, you know, in the Obama slash Trump era that they're just now sort of getting with the program. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully we can take this as a good sign that, you know, the entertainment industry is, is able to recognize when things are not the way that they should be and, um, and, and make advancements much in the way we are lauding them for their advancements in mental health. So, Mm -hmm. um, so credit where credit is due to, to big mouth. So Mick, let's, let's, um, do some reviews. Um, I'll do a, a review, um, uh, you know, one out of five, how, uh, how much this show does a good job of representing mental health, health issues. And then I'll give you a chance to rate it on overall entertainment or on whatever scale that you want. Sure. Sure. Um, so for me, uh, this show is absolutely a five out of five on huh? mental health portrayal for all the reasons that we've discussed today. If you haven't watched it and you've somehow listened to this whole episode without watching the show, I strongly encourage you to watch it. Sit yeah. through the the cringe and the the adolescent boy humor mm-hmm. and stay for the mental health lessons. Yes. 
Uh, I would agree from uh, from an entertainment perspective. It is one of the shows that I, you know, it's it's just, I think this is what, it's fourth season that just ended? Yes, yes. And it is one of the shows where it's like, it's one of the few shows during the course of the year that I will periodically like Google and say, hey, when is Big Mouth coming back? When is Big Mouth coming back? Um, it is a profoundly entertaining show um it's very very body um but there is a real heart to it and uh i think it's well worth if you are mature and even i would say you know would i want like a seven or eight or nine year old watching it no but if you've got like a if you've got like a mature 13 year old i think there's far worse choices you can make than to watch this with them um yeah watch it as a family absolutely yeah <laughs> nice family show <laughs> well i mean if for families no, of I'm, I'm, oh yeah oh i know yeah. oh, please i i actually totally agree with you um yeah. it's just it's funny for me to think i would have never watched this show with my parents but now i kind of wish i could now because it's it's so fascinating but I, I definitely do agree with you yeah absolutely no it is it is it is tremendously entertaining it is it is hysterically funny and uh uh yeah i'll give it i'll give it a five out of five from that perspective too all right mick well thanks so much for coming on the show today i don't know if you have anything that you want to plug uh well uh go to facebook.com slash death by improv and and when we start doing shows again uh either over zoom or hopefully in person at some point this year you'll find out about it then uh and basically if it's a social media page plug in death by improv and you'll probably find us there Fantastic. We've we've messed around uh, recently with doing um, like role playing games and stuff. So there's all kinds, all sorts of content that we've put out recently, um, or periodically, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> as 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 uh, as regularly as as our uh, quarantine adult brains can get to it. Absolutely. That's right. When when the mosquitoes aren't buzzing, <laughs> <laughs> which they've been buzzing a lot. Uh, all right, Mick. Thanks again, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show soon. I'm looking forward to it. 